This week on episode 481 of Priority One, we trek out a Frakes Facts feast from Friends, Stewart's Sonnet Sayonara, and Catherine as the kids' captain. In Star Trek Gaming, we're joined by Star Trek Online's community manager, Mike Ambassador Kale Fatum, to discuss all the goings-on in the Star Trek Online universe. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 481 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, October 6th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 9th, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. Captains each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. Or you can email us. Reach out to us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, this week we are thrilled to be sponsored by Eagle Moss and Hero collection. But between the occasional sponsor, Captains, we turn to you to support the ongoing production of this show. Visit us over at patreon.com and find out what perks are available to all of our patrons. But if financial support isn't in the cards, don't forget about sharing our show to all your friends. Hit that like, retweet, and or share button when you come across one of our posts, or perhaps you'd like to join the team. That's right, Captains. You may have noticed that we're one voice short nowadays. Skiffy, our live stream technician, unfortunately, has not been able to join us for the last several weeks. So we're looking for someone to fill in that spot. Someone who's familiar with live streaming, someone who's comfortable with programs like OBS or XSplit that can help us do the best production we can on Tuesday nights. And of course, like Skiffy did, offer your contribution and voice to the production. So if you are technically savvy or interested in learning, reach out to us. That email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. The best comparison I can make to this position is like Roz from Frasier or Robin from The Howard Stern Show. Again, if you're interested, incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com and click on the Join the Crew link at the very top menu bar. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Last week on episode 480 of Priority One, we discussed an interview from TrekMovie.com with the ever-entertaining Jonathan Frakes. As we noted at the end of the story, TrekMovie promised more with the actor-director, and boy did they deliver. Prepare yourself for a Trek Nugget feast! First, Frakes spoke about season two of Star Trek Picard, noting that he expected to start shooting in January of 2021, before admitting in regards to story, quote, I don't know what the plan is for season two, end quote. But he did 
did have some interesting news about Riker's appearance in season one of the series, telling Anthony Pascal of Trek movie, quote, so I was directing episodes four and five, the nightclub episode and the one with the nuns. And there was no mention of this Nepenthe story, which ended up being episode seven. Then somewhere late in the shooting of the two episodes, they called and said, what do you think about doing this? But it was not part of the plan. When they broke the season, there was no Rikers in the cabin thing. It happened somewhere during a re-break, end quote. Later, Frakes was asked about directing future Trek series, including short treks. When asked to pitch an idea for the short form series, Frakes replied, quote, I was just about to say musical. I'm dying to do something in that world anyway. Ever since Maurice Hurley, who was our showrunner briefly on Next Gen, took me to lunch and said, what do you like? I said, I like jazz, and I like baseball, and I play the trombone. The next thing you know, there I was in the holodeck with Minuet. I think that a musical episode in a short treks would be spectacular. I think it'd be wonderful, end quote. While Frakes expressed interest in directing Strange New Worlds, he admitted to knowing nothing about the series, but he did shed a little light on the oft-forgotten Section 31 series, saying, quote, I actually had Boy Young Kim and Erica Lippold with me on the ready room with Will Wheaton because they wrote episode 303 of Discovery, and they're very optimistic. But obviously, it made sense to the network to do Pike's show before Section 31, end quote. Made sense to the network, meaning because everyone wants to see Pike? Right. <laughs> no one's clamoring for a Section 31 series, but everybody I mean, wanted the Pike one, yeah. That I'd makes still sense. watch it, but yeah, I guess it makes but sense. But it makes sense. You know, there are there are a few things that he said, two things in particular that kind of like, oh man, that, that hurts me to know. One is that the Nepenthe story, that episode where Picard goes to find respite with them, was an afterthought. I like don't um, be hurt. Uh, something thrown no. in. No, no. During no, 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 no. What it was, what happened was, they completely rewrote the end of the series. And I because... see Kat nodding her head. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Writing shift. Right. And so it's like, you know, we don't want to kill Jean-Luc Picard at the end of this 10-episode run. We'd like to maybe bring him back for another season. So we kind of need to scrap the whole back end of this thing and make it totally different. Let's have robot android arms crawling out of a black hole. Can we do that? And let's have Captain Riker on a ship bridge by himself facing down a thousand copies of a Romulan fleet, too. Can we do that, too? Yeah, this, that was part of that. You know what? You know what? This, this whole thing reminds I feel like I, I pray to the great bird of the galaxy that we have. Sir Patrick Stewart for another 20 sure. years. But this is one of those things where I feel like he'll tell a similar story about Picard that he does for Next Gen. Nah, this won't last more than a season. Nah, go ahead, sign that seven-year deal. It'll be fine. Or three-year contract. That'll be fine. You'll be out of there before the end of the first season. This is this 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 thing ain't gonna go nowhere. <laughs> and seven years later, and four movies, then you know he got it was entrapment. And I and I almost feel like that's what this is again. Like he fell for it again. <laughs> nah, Sir Pat. It's only gonna be one year. Don't worry. Yeah, the contract says two years, but or three. But don't worry. It'll, it'll this won't have legs. We'll only do a one season thing. Don't worry about it. I can guarantee it. you, it started as a one year thing, and that's probably the only reason he agreed to it was because it was a one year thing, and he dies. <laughs> I bet that's why he agreed. But then to he it. got into it. But yeah, then he got and into then it and was he's like, like this well. Is fun. Yeah, and then he's like, "Oh, hey, yeah. I like all these people." Yeah. So, so halfway through the season, there he's like, "Let's do another one." And I want Johnny, and I want Marina, and I mm -hmm. want I want to get Lavar in next Spiner. season. And I want Spiner, <laughs> and I want 
Well, they already had Brent Spiner. They already had right. Spiner in for, for something. Like that. Well, probably the end of the series got rewritten to like make more goodbye data stuff. Oh my God, that makes so that makes a lot more sense now too. So it's like let's let's amp that up. Yeah, and then he can bring Guinan in next season. Yeah, lots of stuff happened there. They already thought of that. Yeah. So the other thing is this section 31 show over Pike. I mean, look, I am not I'm not hurt nope. nor am I sad that they did Pike before section 31. I think that's the smart thing to do. Well, they need subscribers. People will show up for Pike more than they would have shown up mm-hmm. for I'm sorry, Section 31. More importantly, they won't go away till Section 31 is all out, and then people can just ask other people, was it good? And then they can decide whether or not to resubscribe. So, I mean, this is, again, remember, the, the theory here is that this is the course that pulls the all-access cart. So if Star Trek keeps people on, it will continue to bring in revenue every quarter, and it will uh, drive drive the network. So there, this is more about not losing people, and then the incremental growth will come as they add the more stuff from the library, as they get a new series in. But they want to keep that firm subscriber base, and the way they do that is to make sure that none of the Star Trek fans leave. That's priority number one. They sure they learned that lesson. <laughs> they sure did. Oh, yeah, they did. But before we go, I think that one more thing on this uh, needs to be said. Short Treks does, in fact, need a musical. All the great sci-fi slash fantasy shows does it. And the title of that show needs to be Nuns in the Club. <laughs> Based on uh, episode four and five of Star Trek Picard, so that, Please, that's what, that's how that I needs would to happen. Totally watch that. Yes. Oh, they could do a reenactment of you know Tanagra with They're Darmok. getting Guinan. They're getting Guinan for Picard. Oh, mind blown! Nuns in the club, starring Whoopi oh, Goldberg, Jesus. reprising a Sister Act type thing. No. Boom. Done. No. Book it. No. Stamp no. it. Tony, sometimes you have really good ideas. And then sometimes you just, I, I want to pretend like I didn't hear Beaver him. dream. <laughs> in its next installment, Trek Movie spoke to Frakes about directing Sub Rosa and his thoughts on Code of Honor. In regards to the season seven episode Sub Rosa, of which Frakes directed, he reflected on how he approaches subpar scripts. Quote, my philosophy is I'm going to make the best version of this show that I can make. There's nothing gained by admitting, oh my God, this story doesn't make any sense. This is ludicrous. If you take those notes to the producer of the show and point them out more than once, as I have done, and that producer or showrunner doesn't feel the same way, then you've got to suck it up and make the best episode you can make, end quote. Frakes was frank about Code of Honor, echoing many fan sentiments when he said, quote, I think they should take it out of the streaming catalog. As small as it is, to make that kind of a statement would be fabulous. Maybe it should be included with an appropriate statement of reason, a proof of concept. This is not who we are. This is not what we stand for. It's an embarrassment to the franchise, and Gene Roddenberry would want us to do this. Something like that. End quote. The Trek movie interview was released in five different stories, which we'll have linked in our show notes. Be sure to check them out. I, why? Why isn't Jonathan Frakes the executive producer on all things being developed for Star Trek. Why? Why won't he take on that responsibility? Come on, Frakes! He probably just likes directing this stuff and getting paid. He doesn't want to do, like, I'm going to sell it and license and do the right. deals. It's- yeah, Frakes. Frakes is a is a director. He likes to be down in the in the trenches with the actors. He's not the 
Hollywood producer type. He doesn't. He doesn't do that. I don't think he wants to. Why would he? Yeah. Why would he? He's an actor's director. I get it. I get it. And uh, there aren't enough NDAs in all of Hollywood for them to trust breaks. <laughs> probably, that's probably the other side of it too. Oh, that's <laughs> true. That's true. Yep. Good point. You can't keep anything nope. quiet. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but I think the other part of this is that they've got a choice, and I think Frakes is right here. They can either Disney Song of the South that episode, and Code of Honor, for those of you who don't know, is the uh, Tasha Yar fight to the death among the stripper poles with all the fake African black culture thing that was terrible. Uh, horrible. They horrible. can Song of the South that thing, or they can keep it in there with some kind of disclaimer. Either one's fine, but it's an embarrassment. It is. It's an embarrassment. Shouldn't have done that. Sir Patrick Stewart is a gift to humanity, and he proved it once again on his social media channels when, at the start of the pandemic, he began reciting Shakespeare's sonnets. The sonnets started at the behest of Stewart's wife, Sonny Ozell, and became quickly a shining light in dark times. But as we Trekkies know, all good things. This week, on October 3rd, Stewart read Sonnet 154 from his Twitter post, quote, Sonnet 154, the final one. Here's to everyone who's been so kindly watching and listening to these sonnets. We never expected anything like this, and we appreciate it enormously. Thank you. Hashtag a sonnet a day, end quote. Sir Patrick wore a black tuxedo and sipped a martini, and also showed off a beautiful bookmark. Check out the link to his tweet in our show notes. You know, I bet you he wasn't wearing pants. It would have been he better was? if he'd stood up and he was wearing like, you know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But you know shorts. what? No, it's, you know, he's he very much respects the text and, and I don't see him making a joke, so to speak, in that kind of setting. I, oh, I do. He's north of 80. You can, you can do anything you want. You can do anything you want. No, he still he still has a lot of respect I for know. the text. I mean, it's it's a reverence. So I could see that he wouldn't make a joke about it, but man, he was not wearing pants. <laughs> Nevertheless, this was an amazing adventure with Sir Patrick Stewart taking us through all these sonnets during this pandemic. So thank you to him, and thank you for exposing a new generation to Shakespeare. A few weeks ago, we covered the news that CBS All Access would present a panel during Read Pop's Metaverse event, a virtual event taking place in lieu of New York Comic-Con. Well, the four-day virtual event began Thursday, October 8th, and at noon Eastern that day, Star Trek took the virtual center stage. The hour-long video included three panels. First, a discussion with the Lower Decks cast and crew, moderated by Will Wheaton. That panel, we'll save that for next week because it contains spoilers for the season finale of Lower Decks. Following Lower Decks was a Star Trek Discovery panel that featured several actors from season three. During the segment, the actors shared some information about the emotional and mental state of their characters after having jumped over 900 years into the future. They also addressed how jumping into the future will give them what showrunner Michelle Paradise described as... It's exciting because um, this season in season three, we take our heroes to a place beyond canon. But at the same time, it's Star Trek and it has an incredibly rich history of canon. So while we are going past it, we also have to and do honor everything that came before. So it's it's not as though they go beyond it and then everything is just wiped away. There's so much of the history and what we're exploring in our new present day. Uh, it's just that things are uh, not exactly as we might expect them to be. So it, it takes us far beyond there, there are some uh, stories in Enterprise where um, there's some time travel stuff, and this takes us beyond that. So it really is fresh snow. We were also given the opportunity to meet Ian Alexander and Blue DeBario, and 
Although they couldn't go into much detail about their characters, we at least had the opportunity to get to know them as actors. Last but certainly not least, the big announcement that exploded all the social medias, Kate Mulgrew is returning as Captain Catherine Janeway for Nickelodeon Star Trek animated series Prodigy. Although this part of the panel was short in comparison, no clips or trailers were debuted, we heard from Kate as to why she decided to jump on board. Let's hear what she had to say. Virtual greetings, and well done you, Alex Kurtzman and the Hegeman brothers, for having the foresight to understand that Star Trek will captivate the imaginations of young people. And when Alex Kurtzman called me over a year ago now, I think, to propose this idea, I have to tell you that I was at first a little bit uncertain. After all, I had played her for seven years. But even as I was talking to Kurtzman on the phone, long dormant longings to restore her started to stir. And then I thought, you know, I was the first female captain, and now I'm going to be the first children's captain. And what on earth could be better than that? And I thought to myself, this is going to be an extraordinary adventure. How thrilling to be able to introduce to these young minds an idea that has elevated the world for decades. Uh, and by children, I'm saying, we're talking about a demographic five to 15 and their parents and their grandparents. I mean, it's going to be a living room full of generations watching this. But I think those little sponges, those little minds are gonna go, we love this. And to be able to do that again, anew, is absolutely delightful. She's doing it for the kids, man. She's doing it for the kids. I We've heard that a lot, you know, uh, over the years, you know, Elijah, you and I have been going to conventions. You've been to most of them, I think, and I've gone here and there. But virtually every time you get these actors up on stage or in front of a crowd or whatever, they're impressed, humbled, awed at the fact that people that they saw years ago at conventions are bringing their kids, and in some cases, grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have... I don't know, some sort of sense of responsibility. Like, if they can keep telling these stories, and they can, you know, Captain Janeway was on the Voyager for a while, but then she went away and did something else, but now she's back. They keep telling the same character's point of view as time goes on. I think they, they, they feel like they need to do that. I think this also helped to legitimize Prodigy a little bit, right? They didn't explain much about her involvement, you know? For all we know, she's a holodeck character, you know, guiding this, the children on this adventure, trying to tell them what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. You know, so we don't know to what extent her involvement is, or the character of Captain Janeway. Nevertheless, I think that she brings up a good point, right? That Star Trek, when absorbed by children, ends up influencing them in significant ways. Yeah, it's a drug. Definitely. I mean, we've heard that. We've heard that from our people that watch the show, you know, uh, people that come on the show that you know everybody has a story about how Star Trek influenced them and growing up with it you know it's just part of your life so I'm excited yeah I think it's fantastic and hopefully they've been taking notes from the Lower Decks people about how to make animated Star Trek well I would disagree (laughs) with you Tony I would say (laughs) what what I hope that they are not you going to be taking notes from. I hope they've uh, had meetings. I hope they've they've had Zoom calls. I hope they've they've shared storyboarding exercises. Mm. So good. I hope not, but we'll (laughs) save that. We'll save that for later on in the show during on screen. But captains, that leads us to our community question for this week. What was your reaction when you learned that Kate Mulgrew will be reprising her role as Captain Janeway in the Nickelodeon Star Trek animated series, Prodigy. Let us know in the comments section for this episode at Priority1Podcast.com or by replying to our community question post on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, 
and Instagram. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. High score. Captains, before we jump into Star Trek Online news and our interview with Community Manager Ambassador Kale, there's news from other Star Trek games. Crypto Space Command's six-week crossover event with Star Trek Discovery winds to a close on October 15th as the show's third season launches on CBS All Access. And in the event's final days, bidding on event-unique ships continues at a feverish pace. Two ships remain on the block. At the time of this recording, the USS Jaeger, which will close on October 8th, is presently bidding at $19,000, and bidding on the USS Discovery itself will start by the time this episode drops on October 9th. Other ships in the event have sold from between $580 to almost $7,000. If you've placed bids on these ships or even won one of them, please reach out to us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com because we have, I mean, a ton of questions. <laughs> you know what? Yes, we do. A lot of questions. Remember, this is a reverse auction. This is starts high and goes low. Yes, that may be the case, Tony. But if you go to this website, okay, if you go to cscgames.com, we'll have the link in our show notes. If you go to this website, it shows you all the ships that have gone on this reverse auction and what they have sold for. For instance... The NCC 1701E, the Sovereign class, ended up selling for 26.23 Ethereum, which at the time of it being sold was valued at $6,000. Voyager, $15,851. And the Galaxy class? The D, the Enterprise D. $30,000, over $30,000. That's how much these things sold for. That's incredible. I cover Star Citizen and people buy $27,000 ship packs over there. So, I mean, it is incredible, but not unprecedented. So some people take this stuff very seriously. And I suspect that these people bought this with the expectation, assumption, hope that they'd be able to turn around later on and sell them for even more Ethereums, perhaps Bitcoins. What can we do on our Patreon page to get people to donate $30,000. You know what? That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. We'd the the production quality on this show would just shoot straight through the roof. Yeah. You'd be it'd be like a, a Emmy nominated podcast. Emmy, and we're not even on television. We'd be able to afford better better hosts. Shut up. We find someone that we find someone that didn't work for free. Yeah, you could get some <laughs> that you could pay. They'd probably be better. <laughs> That's the news from other Trek games this week. Now we invite community manager Mike Fatum to join us for this week's latest releases from Star Trek Online. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Cisco. Authorization Cisco Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains joining us this week to talk about the latest updates to Star Trek Online is Community Manager Mike Ambassador Kale Fatum. Mike, it's been too long. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. It has been way too long. I'm glad to be back. Good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So you know what? Let's jump right in. We're going to do this interview a little differently than we normally do our interviews, where it's typically just Q&A. We're going to talk about what was released on Tuesday, October 6th, and we'll deliver that news, and we have 
have you here to answer those lingering questions and address any player concerns that we might have. Is that, does that sound good to you? That sounds great. Let's do it. So the year of the Klingon continues as the Empire marches into civil war. Kapla! Kapla! Another civil war. Listen, honestly, it's the Klingons. If they're not civil war in, then the, something's probably gone wrong. You can, yeah, you can just set your watch to it. You know, Cleo Dynamics and all that jazz. But as these alliances shatter in a storm of intrigue across the quadrant, one question remains paramount. And no, it is not what it means to be Klingon. But are we getting new stuff? <laughs> the widening Gyre event started on PC on October 6th and ends November 5th. In that time, you need to run the newest featured episode, Partisans, or the new TFO, the Synthwave, at least once per day to earn the Imperial Rift ship equipment set. Equipping pieces of the Deflector Shield Engine Core set buffs a bewildering array of ship stats, including exotic damage, energy weapon damage, control expertise. However, it also unlocks the devastating weaponized mycelio emitter, putting Jaula's devastating doom shroom power in players' hands. All right, Mike, let's jump in and talk a little bit more about this latest mission, Partisans, and a little bit about the the, the set. Let's do it. First off, let's talk a little bit about this this latest mission. So I haven't played in in a little while, and I and I kind of enjoyed the opportunity to play the two missions that were released earlier earlier this year, and then closely follow it up with this recent release yeah we sort of do make stuff that's that's fairly bingeable um just by the nature of how you know development works for our game now and how we will do three or four releases a year and then uh uh you'll they'll have one or two episodes you end up with something that when we're done with all of it really like flows together well <laughs> but it's kind of broken up otherwise as you say that you know i've and i've said this in years past how i kind of wish that instead of having to re-roll a new character that i wish the mission journal would read more chronologically almost instead of grouped by story so that I can experience those missions in a binge format again. But anyway, I digress. Talking about partisans, I had no idea until yesterday that Rekha Sharma lent her voice to the Klingon character. We were a little cagey about it on the first release, um, just because uh, she her that information was the reward for the ARG that I put out for House Divided. And so if you finish the ARG, if you got to the final puzzle, uh, then the reward was you get to find out that, you know, Rekha Sharma's coming back to the game and is taking over the part of Adipa. I, I think that may have been... Uh, less good on my part of a decision. Um, I think we've pushed her a lot more with this one because uh, it is exciting that she's coming in to, to play this major character in the game. But at the time, I kind of wanted to keep that, you know, that stuff sort of special. Yeah, but I could totally tell it was her, but I love her. She's, oh my God, she's so good. The Space.com article in the, this, this morning said we uh, we called in a Cylon to replace a to play a Klingon. And I was like, that that tracks. Yeah, that's, that's what happened. <laughs> he is... She is remarkable. I hadn't even noticed. I, I could not tell at first that it was her until Tuesday, right? Until this dropped and it was a little more pronounced that she was the voice work for uh, for this character. For Adit Pop, the Witch of Nimbus 3. Yes. 
Oh my goodness. Her, everything about how she delivers this character is just, is just knocks it out of the park. From the accent to her, just her emotion and her character. I'm not going to lie, man. I think it puts a, like J.G. Hertzler and, and Robert O'Reilly to shame a little bit because man, did she bring it. He certainly brought it. Uh, one thing that I really love about this mission too and what we've been doing with specifically the missions we've been doing during the year of Klingon is uh, we're bringing in a lot of characters like Adit Pa, like the crew of the Cold Star who were originally people who sort of existed only as side characters in the fiction blogs. And so it's like if you've been you know paying attention over the years and reading all of those and one day I will get them in game somehow then you know you get to this mission to partisans and you go wait a minute i know who those people are i know who the, uh, who, who, what the cold star is and who uh wilkins is that's really cool um but otherwise just cool characters for you to meet so what you're saying is i should have a wall of nothing but clippings and pictures with yarn yeah absolutely strung along with some strings them. linking it together <laughs> wait what yeah that sounds about right <laughs> okay was the uh zoolander reference was genius i laughed so <laughs> hard glad. Oh my god, it was dying. <laughs> Our content team and our writers have a lot of fun. When there's something that obvious of a reference, I usually it's Ryan. Sometimes it's Paul, though. Paul is very, very dryly funny. I was gonna ask who wrote this. <laughs> Paul. So Paul's our writer, and he writes. Uh, but the way it works is basically whatever. So we have four content designers. We have Jesse, um, who you guys know very well. Uh, John Hegner, who was on the show at some point last year, I thought. And then uh, we have Ryan, Brian Levitt, who is um, another longtime STO content designer. And then we have. Paul. And what basically happens is whoever is writing, uh, whoever is pitching the episode and coming up with the concept, they work with Al to just determine like what the basics are of what's going to happen in the episode. And then they go and pitch it and then they put it together. And in that first pass, they write all of the dialogue. But then Paul, who's our writer, goes in before we do VO recordings and just does another pass to make sure everything makes sense and all of the uh, you know the character voices are correct and everything's consistent and well-written and all that jazz. So most of the dialogue you've re you read in the game, Paul's touched all the dialogue you read in the game. Um, whether it was originally written by him or not, it sort of depends on the episode, but they all have a hand at writing stuff, and they're all talented writers, as you guys have seen from previous fiction blogs and such. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. It was so funny and so clever. I Yes, thumb two thumbs up. <laughs> and and a shout-out to Weston, too. I mean, the the motion capture... Amazing. And and we and Scott, too. We always, you know, Weston always gets a ton of the credit, but Scott, who is the lead environment artist uh, has stepped up as sort of the cutscene director and works with Weston to like storyboard every, oh, yeah. everything and stuff. So the two of them are kind of the dream the dream team of those cinematic cutscenes we get. There was this one moment where Jaula is, you know, th uh, without spoiling it, she she's taken back, literally. And she stumbles into her seat. Yeah. And, I, I mean, that was just amazing. Amazing. Work. It's great, right? Apparently, I haven't watched it yet, but we updated, as part of this, this year of Klingon update, we updated the, uh, some of the uh, the cutscenes in Warzone, that's what it's called, uh, the Ark Warzone for the Klingons. And apparently, um, this is again another spoiler, but it's for a much older STO storyline. Uh, apparently, in uh, uh, Worf's reaction to Alexander's death is just gorgeous now. Like, Weston did all this facial animation for him and stuff. That's just really like his lip twitches, like he's gonna cry and stuff. 
I'm excited to see it. Curse it! If I have to play, make another new Klingon, I'm like. Well, I think I... you would just go back and replay it because it's it's not a tutorial mission. Okay. So you can just go back and replay. It. Well, I did make a new one. I did make a new one to play the tutorial, so I may as well work on that one. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then you know, good for you. Well, we hope that the team will listen to this podcast, and if not, please extend our congratulations to everyone, and we hope you'll invite them to uh, to join us to talk more about their work on this mission and and more stuff as we move along the the news this week. But let's talk a little bit about this widening gyre set bonus. Absolutely. So if we're if we're using mycelial weaponry, <laughs> does that make us the bad guys? So there's um I don't know if anybody's unlocked it yet, so they may not have found this. Um yes and no. There is a there is an Easter egg about that, I believe, if it's still in there, uh when you use the mycelial weapon. Um I don't know if anyone's actually like just bought out the event and, and he's using it right now and might have seen that or not. Uh, but I don't know if that's still there. I saw it in an old documentation page, so it may not be. Obviously, the mycelial weapon is a big super weapon problem that Jula had used before a car stole it and gave it to Jempok. Uh, it is a devastating weapon and should not be used by law-abiding Federation citizens. But so is the, you know, Solar Gate and everything else that you guys drop on unsuspecting Borg drones all the time. Uh, I think it's it's sort of a, you can have, I, I think we may, ha- may have a story explanation for it eventually, but uh, my recommendation would be to work on your own headcanon for it. Mine is, you know, you see the rift disappear right away Way. So obviously it's a very stable mycelial rift that you're creating that only damages stuff on this side and doesn't hurt the Alachi, the poor innocent Alachi on the other side of the portal and all of that jazz. Yeah, that bring, that's a brings up a really good point to me. It's like, we've been using these mycelial weapons. Jaula, is she aligned with the Alachi? What's going on with the Alachi? Are we going to fight the Alachi? So the Alachi, um, there's a the episode um, Awakening uh, that came out. Um, uh, actually, I think it's two episodes that came out with Awakening, and I've forgotten their names right now, but it goes into that a little bit. Um, basically, uh, some of the Alachi are waking waking up. So, like as as I think you know from playing through the game, there's you know the Alachi went out and kidnapped people and turned them into more Alachi. Uh, it turns out the Alachi were also living in the mycelial network the whole time. Some of the folks who uh, they kidnapped are starting to remember who they were, so they're not able to turn back from Alachi into like Romulans or something like that. But they are able to um, you know regain a sense of themselves and control over their own actions, which allows them to become uh, sort of good guy Alachi. And you can see them popping up in some of the patrols that you see in uh, that came out with House Divided? Yeah, it came out with House Divided. Um, as you're as you're closing down the mycelial rifts um, in at least one of the patrols, uh, the captain that you helped during Awakening pops up with his own Alachi ship and friends to help you fend off Jaula and to help you close the rift. That's right. Yeah, can't remember his name right now. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. That That's fascinating. And um, yeah, that was such a genius tie-in because when you, you know, run the Romulan tutorial and you, you know, see your colony getting invaded by Alachi and they're carrying them off, you don't really remember later until you're like, oh my God, that's what they did with all those people. 
Yeah, well, and that was kind of a nice boon to be dropped in our lap. Um, that you know, the mycelial network we we had already made the Alachi, uh, you know, kind of fungus people, and so I think at some point I don't know who said it. Um, somebody on somebody on the content team was like, "Well, what if they live in the mycelial network?" And then we wow. very kind of subtly changed their warp animation until the mycelial warp out sequence for a while before we officially brought that in in uh, Awakening. So a couple of eagle-eyed fans spotted that in older content before we finally were like, yeah, they're from the mycelial network. That's where they, that's where they live. Nice. So Mike, you know, I know that uh, your specialty in Star Trek Online isn't necessarily systems, but I... It is not, no. I wonder... (laughs) I am the opposite of a numbers guy. (laughs) (laughs) But I wonder if, you know, maybe you were privy to some of the conversations about this new set. What kind of player is this Imperial Rift set designed for? What kind of build is it geared towards? Uh, Yeah, that's more of a Jet or Jeremy question. Because of the pandemic, especially, I haven't really been in a lot of, like, systems meetings or anything of that nature because, you know, and I haven't been obviously walking down the hall and asking people's questions at their desks, so um, I I don't really know the answer to that. I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head without looking up what it boosts. Um, so I don't know, you said you had a bunch of boosts. Maybe if you give me that, I can I can give you some idea of what I think it, I think it might be for, but it's not going to be as good of an answer as if you had a systems designer in here to talk about it. So what about this? You know, in, in years past, these kind of sets that were free and openly available uh, usually came with missions. Right. Uh, but in this case, it's an event. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis for that and that decision to... So the simplest way to explain it is um, we were doing... Um, we've switched from featured episodes to featured TFOs. I think featured episodes, it was a fun idea, but it wasn't really a good way to endear people to episodes. It's like, hey, here's this brand new story content. You know, sometimes it's close to like an hour long. Go play it five times. Um, and, you know, people People, people gladly grind that, but we moved to feature TFOs, I think, two years ago, maybe three. And it's been a, a lot more successful in terms of, you know, getting people in and getting them engaged and interested in what we're doing. With that, you know, because we didn't, we had things that you would play, you know, you'd play and get one reward, you know, events that you play 14 times in a row and you get, uh, you know, like an Alachi pet or something like that. That meant that we were making, we weren't making three-piece mission sets anymore um, because we were making single rewards. So I think because a lot of people, players and developers missed that stuff, the idea was this time let's make a space set like we would have for an episode but we'll make it a featured TFO reward and you can just get the whole set at once for completing the TFO so that was kind of the idea it's nice I mean I mean I think it's a good trade-off personally because yeah it's a fun way to do it yeah it's not quite as sexy of a prize as you know like the Alachi Walker was or the uh, my personal favorite the dinosaur with freaking laser beams uh, but <laughs> I do love the dinosaur I, I mean I kind of use both now I I mean I love the Walker because I didn't get the Walker I missed I missed out on that event because you know but <gasps> just like the the intro when it comes in and the legs come down I mean it's worth it just for that <laughs> I'll have to uh, look into how I can get myself one maybe I can still buy it out <laughs> for me it looked to me like it was a at me as a science player I was 
definitely interested in that set since it seems to boost control abilities and um i do vaguely remember reading it while i was reading that while i was proofreading it (laughs) yeah so i'm definitely gonna try it out once i finish the event so mike you already talked a little bit about the move towards feature tfos for this kind of content instead of episodes and and with that uh the synth wave was dropped uh with the rest of the content on tuesday so let's segue into that sure yeah let's segue april 5th 2385 will always be remembered as the day Mars burned. The synth attack on Utopia Planitia mystifies and disturbs galactic society to this day, and the Kittimer Alliance is taking steps to ensure it never happens again. The new Synthwave TFO, now on PC, puts captains in a holographic simulation of Mars' desperate defense, similar to the Battle of Binary Stars. Of course, the outcome is inevitable, but if the Alliance can learn anything from this tragedy, then it's 92,143 Federation citizens will not have died for nothing. The mechanics appear to be a little more complex in in terms of uh, how it's played. So, for instance, it seems to kind of lean a little more towards the holy trinity, so to speak, of traditional MMOs, where you have one person blowing things up, you have one person that's attracting the damage, and then you have one person making sure everything and everyone stays alive. Yep, that's that's probably intentional. Um, So, John Hegner, uh, who is one of our systems designer and previously was the, um, I think, lead designer on City of Heroes has been responsible for the for the last bunch of TFOs we've done for Best Served Cold and Synthwave and you know it's kind of been his his wheelhouse for a while. He was trying to find a way, A, you know, we already knew this was going to be an unwinnable scenario, you know, it's, it's just like Battle of the Binary Stars, you can't change history you're just reliving history. But also it's, um, a, a lot of our TFOs end up coming down to like, fly in, press spacebar everything dies, leave again and so I think, you know, anything we can do to give people a little bit more variety in their time is a good thing to do. And so that's probably what he was aiming for. Uh, in the Twitch stream, it looked like some of the transports spawned outside the safe zone and then were destroyed by the defense lasers. Is that by on purpose or is that a bug? I saw that question. I doubt it's on purpose. I'd have to ask John um, that uh, unless it's, if it's later in the, the mission when the trans- the safe zone is shrunk and transports are appearing outside and getting blown up. Uh, that But that still wouldn't be intentional because that would count against you. So that was probably a bug. If you see it happening on live, just let us know and we'll we'll get it fixed. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, bugs that make it into the game once it's released. So for instance, this TFO uh, had seen one or two, one specific, which was uh, one of the freighters uh, goes off track and it kind of gets lost and, and you it uh, prevents you from completing the mission unless you let it die. Yeah, and that sucks. <laughs> I mean, we know that these kind of things happen. It's, a, it's one of those tests things. Uh, I remember, I think if it wasn't you, it was Al explaining how, you know, some of these uh, situations really depend on the masses playing them. We were talking about that on the stream tonight because I I had uh, Jeremy, who's our lead QA tester on, and we were talking about how, you know, even if we had everybody, um, everybody at Cryptic, so not just like the STO team, but even if we had like, you know, the Neverwinter and uh, Magic teams and Champions team all testing our game before launch, stuff like that would still slip through because there's just no substitute for having, you know, a billion people, not a billion people, but you know what I mean, um, show up on on live server and throw themselves at the content. It's just they're going to find more stuff. Stuff that may have only, that may not have happened enough to ding for our QA engineers. Will enough people will be playing the content that it will happen. 
and that's just an unfortunate reality of game development. You can't you can't ever have a QA team that's big enough to catch everything your players will see. You just kind of have to do your best and hope. So let me then ask you this, because I certainly don't know of all the bugs, but I know that as community manager, you have your ear to the ground to what the community reports. To our listeners, what are you aware of with respect to either the mission or the TFO that was just released and what's been fixed, what's going to get fixed? As of when people will hear this episode, there was a patch uh, yesterday morning that fixed a bunch of those issues. So there's just the issue of the um, the transport getting stuck in the TFO, for example, should be fixed now. The issue of, um, as you listen to this, the issue of people not being able to switch their bridge officer specialties uh, should now be fixed. I don't have a full list on the top of my head. Um, I know there's some stuff that we're still uh, plugging away on. There was a couple, there was some people who um, lost access to some of their characters in the big update that we're, we're working on getting those back. That's our top priority right now. There's a direct X issue that some people are experiencing. That's when you try to log into the game, it says that it doesn't support your video card, even though it totally does. Um, I know that's another big one that we're working on right now. Oh, what about the, um, the traits issue? Uh, which traits issue? <laughs> <laughs> Do we, are we going to have to respec all of our characters? Um, um, it's, it was only some characters who needed it, and that definitely was a bug. Okay. I don't know. It, traits are one of those things where, um, or skill points are one of those things where, because uh, traits you can respec at any time. That's less, less annoying. But skills are one of those things where it, if you got flagged as invalid. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, and you started the respec process, then I think you'll have to finish the respec process. Dang. I don't know if there's a if there's a like a retroactive fix going back in that everybody who was declared invalid will be undeclared invalid i think probably the what they're focusing on is making sure no one else is declared invalid but there may be you know something more to it than that actually this was this was an important one because i i had logged in and i and cat you were the one talking about this mm-hmm. and so i walked away thinking oh crap so no matter what i have to respec but that's not the case so when i when i opened up my skill tree everything looked fine everything looked normal yeah but i was under the impression that i still had to do it no matter what because it was broke it was broken on the back end is that the case or is it there's um yeah so there's two there's two separate issues that people have been that's why i kind of was like what which issue <laughs> um because there's two different. well mine actually did say invalid skills some people had to fully respect some people just had you know it was uh, a a uh, it just was an issue where it looked good but it wasn't actually good if that makes sense so should people just respect respec right now and like to be safe if it asks you to respec respec otherwise wait and see what happened check when, before you start respecting anything, check to make sure your stuff works and it's working okay. Yeah, because it did come up automatically that I had to do it, which I did. Yeah, I didn't, and I didn't get any error. So then I, I got a little confused, but I was like, well, I guess it's broken in the back end. I, I, I got to do this. I got to fix it. Yeah, but if it's a new update and Elio's not confused, are we really doing our job? It's true. It's true. <laughs> Absolutely true. Come on, man. How are you going to name it? How are you going to name an event something that sounds like a mission? I was so confused. <laughs> It says the Widening Gyre event everywhere. This is not on me, sir. Uh, I do love that. It's a it's a second coming of Yeats, right? The poem. Is it not a reference? It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. That's how you name Star Trek stuff. You find, you know, something from Shakespeare or a poem or yeah. anything that sounds vaguely pretentious. And better in the original Klingon. Yeah, exactly. 
but with better than what it was last time because we had uh, the house divided event, but I couldn't announce the name of the expansion beforehand. So I don't know if either of you read any of those blogs, but it was like, we have an event coming up. You can win the Red Angel suit, but I can't tell you what the event is called. So you're just going to have to trust me that there's an event coming up that will be called. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell Dang. you what it's called. <laughs> We got to talk about ships, right? A m- incredible, incredible update was released on Tuesday. Yes. So let's jump on in because captains, do you wish your tier six dreadnought could have that new ship smell again? <laughs> well, Star Trek Online has something better than a pile of air defresheners. Available starting October 6th, the new experimental upgrade token will add a universal console slot, a device slot, and active ship trait slot to whatever tier five upgrade or tier six ship it's applied to. And if you were, if you follow me at all, you saw me on Twitter spend and Reddit and everywhere else spend an entire day answering questions about this when we announced it on Friday. Oh, I know. I had so many questions. It's it's something, something that's this new. There's just no good way to explain. It's like, well, it works just like a tier five U token, but different. Well, it gives you a trait, but, but different. (laughs) So let's, uh, let's talk about those tokens. So once you do that, the upgrade will be freely available for all of the ships of that specific type. So for example, if if you upgrade a tier five defiant to X, whatever X is in this case. Character A. Yeah, to carry let's say yeah, let's let's say yeah. Then all the tier five defiants that you own on your account uh, which I believe that's a sea store ship, so it should be unlocked on every character, except your, your non-fed characters, uh, will then be, will then have the upgrade applied. However, because you applied it to a tier five defiant, it will not automatically upgrade a tier six defiant on your account or the legendary defiant or, you know, something else. Sweet. Now, each token will sell for 1,000 Zen or in bundles of three for 2,000. Buy two, get one free. But from October 6th through November 5th, players can receive one free token for their account. That's correct. This summary merely scratches the surface, so let's let's jump right in. Hit me. I know you have so many questions. So one of our patrons, Dandelion, is curious about the genesis of this Tier 6X mechanic, specifically when compared to the Tier 5 upgrades, because Tier 5 upgrades were clearly a stepping stone for harder content, we're not doing tier seven. Oh. oh God, we're not doing tier seven. Oh God. Okay. No, no tier seven ships. I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to say never say never. So here's the thing with tier seven. I know that was a later question. I'm jumping ahead, but um, tier six was a huge undertaking that still isn't done. Every tier five ship doesn't have a tier six version yet. And I, while I was not present at the time, I have heard legends from the past of uh, really people, people being just so annoyed, rightly so, I would say, for the fact that we were asking them to buy their ships all over again. Uh, and so this is a little bit of a way of doing, you know, maybe a similar power gain uh, or upgrade to your ship without having to necessarily buy your ship all over again. Uh, I think that's the big difference. We don't have any plans to make a whole nother tier of ships right now. And I don't. I say right now because we're not talking about it. We have no plans for it. But the game's been around for 10 years. I hope it'll be around for another 10. So, you know, that may just happen uh, somewhere down the line, maybe with a different executive producer and community manager. You never know. What is the goal of tier 6X then, right? So if tier 5 upgrades were a sort of stepping stone, but there's nothing on the 
the foreseeable future for a tier seven, why introduce? A and on, then on top of that, we still have tier five ships that haven't been released as a tier six variant. What's the 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 goal? What's what are we preparing for? We're not, I mean, it's not so much a preparing for thing. I think you hit on the nail right on the head in that it's a way, you know, when you're talking about the new ship smell, in that it's a way to make your old ships fun again. Because a lot of people in our game do have their favorite ship, you know, that they, that they fly everywhere and do everything with. And so it's nice to make that ship the new hotness every now and then. You know, I don't know that this will be the last token. We may have experimental upgrades part two somewhere down the line where you can add additional stuff to your ship. But one of the things that we, we really were wanted to be super clear about with this one was not only do you get one for free, not only are they, you know, things you can actually purchase for reels monies, but also there's going to be a lot of ways to get them by playing the game. And, you know, one of those is getting them from the Phoenix prize packs during the Phoenix event. There's other ways that we haven't announced yet that we've already decided on um, for the coming months. You'll see, you'll start seeing these things a lot more. I was going to ask that. Um, I really am a big fan of the options of obtaining some of this stuff. You think that that kind of um, mechanic would be, you know, available to other things? Uh, I sense you have a specific thing you want to ask about. No, no, I don't. I'm just generally. It seems like people get very upset when things are only available one way. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Uh, certain things we have to keep a kind of exclusivity on in terms of, you know, keeping the lights on. Um, but other stuff we want to give people multiple ways to do. And some of the stuff we've done in terms of monetization recently is about giving people those other ways to do it too. Like, you know, reputations. Now we have the tier five uh, reputation acceleration, as I call it, although I think the official name is just tier five buyout. You know, that's a, a way to, if you would rather pay cash than, you know, actually go through the, uh, the process of grinding out a reputation. Uh, that's one way you can do it. You can now just pay to jump up to tier five and you'll still have to work tier six. So we're trying to find a lot of nice ways to give people options, you know? Yeah, and that is definitely appreciated. And I am such a liar because I totally just did think of something that I wouldn't mind being able to be, um, to be able to be uh, achieved in some way. And I think you said you brought it up. I've heard that you've discussed the Grand Nagus ship. Ah, yes, I did mention that on the stream today um, because the Grand Nagus ship is a huge curiosity to me. Uh, I, I think I've told this story on this show before but when I first started working at Cryptic Studios, the area that we that I now sit actually uh, was a storage area originally. It was a, a big cubicle area that wasn't being used. When we started adding more people to the company for Magic, uh, STO moved into that area. Um, but initially, it was a place where a lot of old giveaways were kept, and I I kept I found a stack of these cards that were for this gold Ferengi ship. And so I asked uh, Morgan, my predecessor, Laughing Trendy, uh, about them and basically got told, never mention this ship. This ship is cursed. <laughs> because the reaction to the initial rollout of that ship was uh, apparently just such a disaster. Oh, yeah. This was the ship that you guys gave to the whales. I uh, cannot comment officially on how this ship was given out. It's been a couple of years. Every now and then it comes up as, you know, oh, people are looking for reward and I kind of think to myself what if we did the gold ship and I think Andre brought it up previously as an idea for something as well uh, recently uh, and it's always kind of a debate internally because we're like you know if people if there was any way to obtain this ship now would people be mad at us would they be mad if it was a reward for something would they be mad if it was in Mud's market um, and you know we, we kind of go back and forth on it because we don't know 
we can predict as best we can what the player uh, reaction will be, but we don't know off the top of our heads. So I, you know, I, I kind of put it out there in the world of the stream tonight, and I got kind of exactly the reaction I was expecting. <laughs> a lot of people would be mad, and a lot of people would be happy. Uh, you know what, Mike? So. Just you know what, Mike? I'm gonna send you my address. You send me those cards, and let us handle it here at Priority <laughs> One. We got it. Oh, they're gone. They're gone. I, I, I threw them back down on the ground like I'd been burned when I found them because I knew what they were, and then uh, they. Uh, I, I believe they got disappeared when that area got cleaned up. Here's the thing, though. The people that got those got them as a gift. So, they, you know, although I do know someone that has one and they would be very upset then if it was available. But, you know, I'd say for those of us that don't have it, really want it. And I need that console. <laughs> I've heard people say that they um, tell me about the console because I actually don't know about this but um, I've heard because there was a set and if you had all the Ferenc you had the Decora and I had the Nandy and then I had the whole set from the Lobby store which I do but there was a console and I can't remember the name of it on the Nagus that completes the, the set that goes on the ship and now I can never get it <laughs> they put a console that completes a set on that ship yeah Oh my god, no wonder. The Battle Module 4000? Is that the yes, one you're talking about? that's the one! <laughs> oh god, okay, that's that's information I didn't have, and that's good to know. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. Can, I would love a Negus, uh, because, you know, I'm a completionist. I want all the things, and I have a Fer I have two Ferengi, and I'm like, ugh, every time. Hold on, it's only, you only get a two, it's only a two-set bonus. Right, but you still have to have one of the other ships, and but you only get that console from the Negus, though. Oh, right, right, right. I see, I see, I see. So, I see. Okay. Yes. I just I want it. every all the Ferengi things. Yes. Okay. There is a Battle <laughs> Module three thousand though. I know. I have that one. Yeah. This is the new tier tier six one. Yeah. As I understand it, the 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 Nagus stat wise is pretty comparable to the tier six version of the ship, but I I don't. Yeah. Although I don't have that one yet. I I only have the Nandy and the Decora because I spent all my EC on some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. So no, every now and then on the stream, I like to just kind of test the waters and be like, would you guys be mad? Because sometimes it's better to just directly ask the people. I you. feel like the people that wouldn't be mad would outweigh the people that would be mad. I, I think you might <laughs> be right. Um, but, you know, sometimes you never know. I, I didn't think that accidentally putting the wrong armor on a uh, uh, on an image uh, would lead to Reddit screaming for my head for, for like a week and a half straight. But yeah, that was surprising. <laughs> that kind of knocked me off guard a little bit. Yeah. So speaking a little bit about the community, right? I, I want to talk a little bit more about the questions that you've been addressing regarding the tier six X and the upgrade token. If that that we have not addressed or asked you already, what are what are the common kind of questions that you've been answering as you've gone through the week? Um, let's see. Uh, if you put uh, so with the tier five U token, if you put it on a ship, it would automatically upgrade the fleet version of that ship. Uh, this this token does not do that. If you put it on a, you have to put it on the fleet version in order for it to upgrade all the fleet versions of the ship on your account. But then it will upgrade all the fleet versions of the ships on your account. So they will they will all get so like if you have buy the fleet version on two different characters uh if you applied it to the um, the upgrade on one character you will get the upgrade on the second character say you have um let's use the rising corvette because that's the example i've been using uh so say you have the tier six rising corvette that we put out a few years ago um and then you upgrade it to the fleet version you buy the fleet version 
that fleet version is, as far as this token is concerned, a different ship. If you apply the token to the Tier 6 Rising Corvette, it won't automatically upgrade the Tier 6 Fleet Rising Corvette, but it will upgrade all Tier 6 Rising Corvettes on your account. If you apply the upgrade to the Tier 6 Fleet Rising Corvette, it will upgrade any tier six fleet Ryzean corvettes that you have on your account so for example and this also is true of lockbox ships so like say for example um say you have a voth dreadnought uh you got a voth dreadnought from a lockbox on your Klingon character and then you bought one off the exchange for your federation character even though those are character bound ships if you upgrade one of them you will upgrade both of them as long as it's on the same account and the same is true for fleet ships. Even though fleet ships are character-bound ships, if you upgrade the fleet version of a ship, you will upgrade that ship for any characters on your account who might have that ship. Got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think there was confusion, though. Your Does your T5 ship have to be already upgraded to T5U? Yes, in order to apply the upgrade, yes. Okay, that was my question. So I got my Dyson. It's already upgraded to T5U, and now I'm going to use that on it. Any other common questions that you might have seen or been? Uh, that was the big one. And then um, there was a lot of confusion on how the extra trait works, which is basically you get an extra trait on that ship, but you don't just get an extra trait across the character. Does that make sense or do I need to explain that more? No, no. I And, and the UI is pretty clear about this because... It'll... Yeah, the UI is super clear about it. And as soon as people see the UI, it makes sense now. But the day we announced, that was a very confusing question for a while. Yeah, it'll stay, it'll stay lo- in the locked. It'll stay black out and locked if you switch to a ship or if you're if you haven't upgraded yet right exactly right right i think that that leaves us with our last big content headline and that's the tier six mirror warship yes it's so pretty isn't it yeah oh my god it's so pretty i I already have opened a ton of boxes i hate myself (laughs) (laughs) don't hate yourself bust out the knives agonizers and goatees because stowe's latest infinity lockbox ship is taking us back through the mirror now available in the infinity lockbox the tier six mirror warship is based on the constitution class uss defiant as seen on computer displays in star trek discovery this warship sports a 5-3 weapon layout and a heavy tactical focus, including a new Terran goodbye starship trait. It also sports two commander-level bridge officer seats. So a particular ship like this, right? Do you select something like this in conjunction with what's going on in the storyline? I mean, this is a mirror ship. We're not really dealing with the mirror universe with the Klingons. No, the ship schedule is based more around um, what we have access to from the shows, what uh, I mean, the ship schedule is planned out separately and differently than the um, than the content schedule, especially nowadays. We don't really look at it anymore as a place, you know, as a as something that has to tie into the storyline. It's more of what ships have come out recently from the new TV shows that we can talk about, um, that we can show off. What has you know do we have enough reference on to make a ship out of uh that kind of thing is sort of where the planning for that comes from i love the design they did um i love that you know because this is just a wireframe that was on a screen in discovery and they really fleshed it out into this this beautiful looking ship it's kind of mysterious that ship yeah. Yeah. So it's just when they go to the mirror universe, they see the Defiant on the screen, and it's just a, a wireframe. And we said we can do better than that, and we made a full ship out of it. So, Mike, the last thing that we didn't write down was uh, Star Trek Online is now available on uh, Epic Games Launcher. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. You know what? How'd that come about? And you know, are you guys gonna? 
pull away from something like Steam or other platforms? No, we don't have any intention of leaving Steam. I think Epic is just another option. Um, I think it's just an idea of giving people as many ways as they can to play Star Trek Online, to launch Star Trek Online, to play the game. Yeah, um, we've got Epic is the newest one, but you know, you also got Arc, you've got Steam, and I don't think we'll ever stop using one of those, especially not Steam. So many people own Steam and, you know, do all of their games off of Steam that it would be probably pretty silly to, you know, abandon that entirely. I know I know Epic made a splash early on by being sort of a, a place that uh, lured a lot of exclusives away, uh, but that's not really something we're we're interested in it's more about seeing you know how it works do we get more players or more people interested from the epic store are our current player base interested in switching how they launch it do more people use the um uh, epic store than use steam probably not but you know it's that kind of experiment uh i wanted to ask it seems like well now that we have new content there's been some new tfos has the delay caused by covid is is the schedule worked out the kinks so you guys all back and fully up to speed uh back yes up to speed maybe uh, <laughs> you know it's one of those things um it, it we're never going to be working at full capacity working from home we're getting there but there's just so much especially because you know if we were all working from home but you know everybody's kids were in school uh for example right that would probably be more efficient but a lot of us um myself included are working weird schedules i generally don't start my work day now until like 12 12 30 because i'm uh, hanging out with my daughter in the morning which has actually been amazing i've loved getting all this time to spend with her and not commuting but it does mean that there's a little bit of a difference in my schedule for the day i end up working later and stuff uh, i think it affects a lot of people's schedules and and working environment work home life balance so yeah but yeah it seemed like there was a, a quite a bit of a drought and then now that we have new content so i'm hoping hoping it's it's stabilized somewhat well the skit so if people talk about the drought there hasn't been a drought per se it's this is kind of what we're what we're what we do is we do you know major story updates and there's i think three of them a year maybe four but i'm pretty sure it's three and so like you know this year it's legacy which is in january uh house divided which was uh june but was supposed to be may that was a covid pushback uh and then house shattered now in uh late september early october you know those are kind of the big episode drops and those are going to be you know an episode a tfo some kind of new quality of life feature we hope usually uh in between we'll still continue running you know events and reasons to log in and play the game and those will include you know new rewards sometimes maybe new patrols uh remastered content like the borg um event that we did that we remastered everything for Mm -hmm. uh and then in between those events you can usually expect the uh, galactic red alert to come back and give you something to do while you're waiting for the next thing to do you know i will say this i you know i haven't played in in a long time and getting back into the game you know i played the two missions that were released earlier this year did the new tfo and then i did i felt for a moment, I was like, "All right, now what?" Because I'm not <laughs> much of a I'm not much of a alternate tune player, right? I don't have dozens of tunes to play. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not either. I am. So, um, you know, and I and I, I wonder, have you guys thought about 
a bit more love towards the UI. I think a lot of it also has to do with there's an overabundance of things to do. Yep. And it gets a little clunky sometimes. It gets a little, I spend a little too much time trying to figure out where I need to go to find, for instance, past events stores, you know, and, and make sure that I got everything. Yep. So has that been something that's been talked about behind the scenes? All the time. Um, we we are well aware of the fact that our game is uh, 10 years old, and during those 10 years, we slapped systems on top of systems on top of systems. There's some stuff that people love and use regularly, like Admiralty and uh, Doffing and stuff like that, and there's some stuff that just... So R&D system, for example, is something that could use some love, and we talk, we've talked about that a bunch internally. Same thing with... Uh, well, I can't really... Anyway, we know there's a lot of systems. We know a lot of them need love. Um, and there's a lot to do in the game, and that's good because it keeps people playing the game. And that's kind of why we do... One, th one thing that we noticed um, looking at the data when we started get really seriously collecting data a few years ago was kind of exactly what you described, that people would log in, play the new content once, and then uh, log back out and not come back for a couple of months. And that makes sense if that's the kind of player you are, but we, in order to keep the game going and keep up the level of quality we're doing we need to sort of entice people to do to play the game more often and so that's where sort of that's where our our events that we've been doing more and more often and the new event system and the event campaigns uh started to come from well it definitely helps you know if you're a player like me or you know that you play regularly and yeah some days you're just like what do i what do i want to do today <laughs> yeah <laughs> Mike, you brought up R&D and crafting, for instance, as one of those systems that, that could use a little bit of a of love. Because like even, even myself, I don't really know what the benefit is of crafting at level 65. Yep. You know, I my stuff is at minimum level 15, right? All those all those different crafting specializations, you know, beams, cannons, etc. Uh, but I don't really do much with it, right? So I salvage some of the items just to have, but I'm not, it doesn't feel as if though I should be crafting. Like I need to be crafting for to accomplish something in the game or to earn that sweet leak gear. And as you were talking about that, I, I then thought about things like the R&D packs, right? These are things that are, are geared specifically towards crafting with other perks, but I think most recently, controversially, the inquiry class and how that was thrown into the R&D pack when R&D isn't, is it necessary, is it the end game and is a ship in an R&D pack as advantageous as putting it in a regular lockbox, a standard lockbox? So that's something we talked about a lot, especially after the um, outcry of the inquiry. I think the problem that we, we run into is that the current experience so like if you open an infinity lockbox, uh, even if you don't get the ship you're looking for, you end up with something and usually something pretty good. You know, something that you're excited to have or at least not disappointed to have. Um, when you open an R&D box or a duty infinity duty officer box, if you don't get the ship, it's not a good experience. And the idea behind this kind of monetization mechanic should be that no matter what happens, you feel like you got something for your money. And if it feels like the stuff you got was mostly trash, then that's that's not helpful. That doesn't that doesn't get across any of the things that we we wanted to accomplish with this. And that's the discussion we're having internally right now is how to approach that and how to how to handle it in a way that makes it better for everyone without 
really stomping on what it, what that that way of acquiring ships is. Improve the value. Yeah, without the value of those ships, I guess that's a good way of putting it. Um, and so that's that's the idea. We need to, you know, we 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 are discussing internally ways to approach that. And it, it may be that we look at it and we run the numbers and we look at all the data and say, well, you know, that that's exactly what it should be, and that's what it's going to end up being. Um, because we don't, there isn't a better solution off the top of our head. Yeah, maybe not off the top of our head, but you know what I mean. That may that might be what happens, but it might not be what happens. We just have to look at it and find out, I guess. The big outcry about the Incree was that it was a ship at some point in the past, and it may have been even been on this show. Somebody, and I don't know who, but I suspect it was Al, uh, just because this is the, the sort of thing that he would have said in an interview on the show, not because it's the wrong thing to say, just because it's the sort of thing he would say. Somebody said that we put ships in lockboxes that are ships that are by their nature rare or hard to obtain in universe uh so like the idea is you know like originally i think the person may have said only alien ships i think that's obviously been walked back now but you know instead of a standard federation ship you would find a ship from the future or a ship from the mirror universe something that you wouldn't expect to see thousands flying around um oh right like the amari and yeah yeah and so this is this is way before my time that this this statement was made and i don't know if it was phrased as a promise back then uh, i don't i don't have that data i have no idea um i know it's not been a reality of how our you know how we decide what goes into a box for a very long time uh, at least the four years i've been working here so i think there's a, that was a miscommunication that you know, lived in history. Um, people, people looked at that, and now you know people are going to listen to this interview and find me the exact quote and show me when we promised that. And I, <laughs> I do appreciate that for them doing that because you know I've been flummoxed. I was flummoxed by that reaction. I was caught off guard because it was surprising to me how much that was held up as gospel when I didn't even I wasn't even aware of it as a rule. Uh, so that was why people were frustrated. And if you were led to believe that the only things that would ever go in these, you know, R&D packs or lockboxes would be ships that were in-universe rare ships to have, and then you saw a ship that was literally like uh, Riker shows up with, you know, a hundred of them in the ship's first appearance at, in the box, yeah, I would understand why that would be frustrating. Um, like I said, I don't know if that was phrased as a promise, but it's not been a, a business reality for Star Trek Online for at least as long as I've been working here. But ultimately, for something like you know r&d packs you are in discussions about trying to find different ways or trying to massage it in a way that that it doesn't the player doesn't get remorseful for trying to open up a ship from something like an r&d box right because that experience i mean if you if you open 10 infinity lock boxes and you get 10 cool consoles or weapons or things out of it that's not as disappointing as opening 10 r&d boxes and getting just r&d packs and maybe some low buy it's just not it's just, it's not a great experience and we do know that and we do understand that internally and we are work we are having conversations about what might be a good way to fix that um the reason i'm couching it as having conversations is you know it's 
running a live service game and event, especially figuring out how to monetize a live service game that's been around as long as we have, or really even that hasn't, as long as it's actually live, is laying track in front of the train that's already running. And, you know, a lot of this stuff, I think it was decided that the inquiry would be in a promo pack, uh, you know, months and months and months ago. And we always knew that we would be releasing a promo pack ship around this time of year. So if we decide to make any changes to it, it, they may not take effect for a very long time as we sort of look at the schedule and figure out how we would test that and enact it and make it awesome. So yeah, that's why I'm I'm couching it as we're in discussions, but we are aware of how that experience is not fun and is could be better optimized for fun. Fair enough. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you, thank you. All right, so we're at a part of the show where I think we can kind of open the mic to you. All right, so tell us about Lower Decks and why you love it and who's your favorite character in the Legends. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, dude, it's just, it's so surprising because this is something I'll get yelled at on Twitter for too, but I hate Rick and Morty so much. Oh my God, it is, Mike. It is not God my show. Damn it. <laughs> Everybody tries to sell me on Rick and Morty by showing me these sequences and they're like look it's so funny and it's like somebody crying over their kid dying and i'm like that's not that's sad no you can't watch the sequence that's that's horrible that's a terrible way to introduce somebody to anything oh man but also i just hate nihilism and the whole fan base around rick and morty is very much like rick is right and i'm like i don't think he's supposed to be i think you're reading that wrong uh so you know but so i was i was concerned when I heard about Lower Decks. And then the show is definitely zany and definitely out there in a way that I'm like, this is canon? But like, it still leans really hard into being a Star Trek show. You know, they're they're exploring new worlds. They're finding new amazing things in space. They're taking care of each other as a crew and a family. It's it's very exciting to see. And it's, it's it really surprised me and knocked me on my butt because I was really worried it was going to be super cynical and just a lot of like, hey guys, red shirts, am I right? When it's clearly actually made by people who are very deeply fans of Star Trek. It reminds me a lot of the Orville that way, except that it's trying to be less serious than the Orville was trying to be because uh, the Orville wanted to have its cake and eat it too of being like the parody of Star Trek and also an example of Star Trek. <laughs> so when uh, when are we going to get some stuff in the game from Lower Decks? You already got some, son. You got some. Well, I know we got boffs, right? We got the boffs, right? Yeah, we got the boffs. So that's great. Um, I'm uh, glad we were able uh, to do uh, that. How about that awesome cat? What about that cannon? That uh, that hand cannon? Oh, the the uh, the cannon that um their uh, their security officer has. Oh, the Bajoran one. Yeah, dude, that thing would be great. We've talked about that for sure. Um, there is. See, okay, so here's the thing. There's something from Lower Decks coming soonish, and when I say ish, I mean in the next two months. But I can't tell you about it because telling you about it would spoil a surprise in the last episode of Lower Decks. Oh, nice. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah. So I mean, people might hear that. And because this episode will come out after that episode is aired, they may figure out very quickly what I'm talking about. But we'll Fair see. Enough, yeah. <laughs> I have heard that people have made Lower Decks characters in game and they're like freakishly act like look 
really good. Well, we had those really good realistic versions of the characters, but we had to change. I thought they were great. Yeah, they were fine. It was uh, it was just one of those things where um, we're very used to just doing what we want because for ten years, you know, we were able to do that. Right. And uh, we that that one, you know, licensing and brand consistency across platforms is very very important. Obvious. <gasps> what? And so we have to, we, we, we kind of had to, you know, we got reined in a little bit and that's fine. <laughs> that, that was right for them to do that. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so very much for joining us on this episode of Priority One Podcast. It's great to talk with you again and we hope that you'll come back on. No problem. And I started some Admiralty missions at the start of this podcast and they're done now. Nice. <laughs> great, 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 great. Um, All right, Mike, until next time. Thank you so very much. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Now let's look on screen for the newest episode in the Star Trek multiverse. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 9, Crisis Point, on screen. They say the best Star Trek stories have the best villains. You know, Khan, Chang, Rogadanar, the classics. But if you can't get those guys, you can always settle for doing evil twin versions of your heroes. Who can forget all our old favorites like Transporter Separated, Angry Kirk, Mirror Everybody, and Captain Proton's nemesis, Arachnia. And if you're a lower decker, you definitely haven't earned a real-life guest star nemesis of your own yet. You have to settle for a holodeck-programmed evil twin, Vindicta. On the bright side, you get life-size interactable fonts, sweet minion costumes, and advance warning about the captain's chocolate allergy. So, strap into your shuttle for a boudoir glamour reel of the ugliest ship class in Starfleet as you fly straight into a poor substitute for anger management therapy. All right, captains, let's jump into some of the statistics. This episode was written by Ben Rogers, directed by Bob Suarez, and first premiered on October 1st, 2020. This week, I'm going to start with Tony. Yeah. Tony, I'm going to ask you the same questions. Go ahead. And if you answer with, I loved it all, I'm going to find your replacement. (laughs) Don't threaten me with a good time. Go on. You ready? Go ahead. Go ahead and ask the question. Go ahead and ask the question. I'm winding up here. I'm winding up. So, so Tony, what would you say was your favorite moment from this I episode. liked almost all of it. Oh, ah, almost okay. all of it. So, do you want to talk about what was the almost that you didn't like, or do you want to talk about first like your the, the favorite moment of the series, the the episode that you enjoyed? Virtu- it was like virtually flawless from from soup to nuts, virtually flawless. But it, the, the wrap up, I the problem with the wrap up is the problem I said at the first episode of the series, the Mariner Freeman daughter mother thing. I hate it. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, and I hate it. I still hate it, and I still hate it. So, but, and so they're they're making All a right. big deal of it now because now Boimler found out. Spoiler alert. Everything else was perfect. Okay, so let's dive into why this was perfect for you. This episode was, again, chock full of Easter eggs, even, even in its cold opening with the rats and lizards harkening back to season one of TNG. But more in your face was a parody of all the Star Trek films ever made. Spot on. Specifically, Wrath of Khan oh, and the motion everything. picture, and then the lens flare from oh. JJ. So there was a lot, right? There was a lot in this episode. Was there not one moment for you that you were you really just kind of sticks out to you as wow, that was some smart writing, that was some smart humor, was, that was a it great was line. A fun ride from beginning to end. I mean, I, this, that's the thing with this show. They found their groove. They found their groove in, between episode two and three, and they've never left it. 
and the only thing that, again, the only thing that brings me out of it is the whole mother-daughter thing. They didn't need it. Maybe they thought they had to have it for some sort of character growth, major tension thing. Maybe they thought they should put something like that in there. Maybe the studio insisted they have to have some sort of, like, you know, big plot line or whatever. They didn't need it then. They don't need it now. They found their groove. And if they just took that part out, that would be fine with me. Okay, but so was there any moment? Like, was there any one-liner, any dialogue, or anything from this episode? Everything from the spotlights on the hull, on the stupid, you know, on the, on the, the ship tour thing, to uh, them getting hit in the head by letters as the as the credits are rolling. I mean, just the whole thing was just a delight, Elio. A delight. The whole thing. All of it. All right, Kat. Kat, how about you? I... I mean, I really did. It might be my favorite episode so far. I know I said that last week, but I really did love it. Vindicta. And it's a holodeck episode. I mean, everyone loves holodeck episodes. Holodeck episodes are the easiest to screw up. There's never like a problem. You know, it's going to be reset at the end, you know, but this one was funny. It was fun. I mean, because Boimler's kind of like Barkley, right? He's yeah. like, I'm going to program the entire crew with based on their personal logs. And you're like, whoa. Easy there, <laughs> hey buddy. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. That's a little too much, but how adorable was Rutherford and, and Billups? Hey. I know you might be a psychotic space raider whose boss just destroyed my ship, but you are all right in my book. That's a book I'd read, cover to cover. (laughs) Oh, man, that was awesome. And Tendi, first of all, standing up to Mariner, she's like, whoa. Come on, dude, Orions are pirates! Pillaging your whole thing! Okay, stop! It is not my whole thing. And for your information, many Orions haven't been pirates for over five years! Five years, pirates! Up to five years. Up (laughs) Up to to five five years. (laughs) Did you like it, Elio? Did you like it? Yeah, what did you think, Elio? What was your favorite part, Elio? What did you like the best? You liked it all like us. So, it was fun. This, This episode was fun. I thought that all of the things they were making fun of from Trek movies are also some of the things we really love. Like, for instance, that ship pan scene, right? Three minutes of nothing but epic music with them (laughs) in the shuttle and watching the approach to the Cerritos. That was fun. That was cute and exciting. And I thought they played it well, particularly the music. They spared no expense on the soundtrack for this episode. The music was outstanding for an animated series, right? It was just it was just spot on. They captured the themes and the phrasing from from Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I mean this quite deliberately when I say this. If they put a real ship on screen, like a real Star Trek ship on screen, not the Cerritos, it would be it would be just great. You would take it seriously. Put well, the Sovereign in there. Put the Nebula in there. Put the Reliant in there. Put a real Star Trek ship in there, and it would be. I don't would think be so. It would, you you take it seriously. Not to yeah. the music, because if you listen, if you listen to some of the phrasing, and you listen to some of the direction that the the orchestration takes and the composition takes, it also reminds me a little bit of Orville, where there is gravitas to the piece, but there's also a bit of levity. So, because it's still a parody show. It, it's, it's an upbeat, happy theme, a little bit silly, but it's real music, and you do, you're like, you're, you're, right. you're put in the position of admiring something, right? It's, 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 it's supposed to be right. a, uh, a celebration, you know, it's, it's supposed to be a, a march, a triumphant march, if you will. Right, 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 right. That was a great, it was a great sp- sequence. I'm with you, Kat. I think that the star of this episode was actually Tendi. I think she, the fact that she stood up for herself for some of those stereotypes, 
that you know she as an Orion might be put into. I think that was I thought that was fun. I thought that was inventive. I thought that was a risk that they took, and it worked well. Overall, again, fun for being a sh- an episode dedicated to making fun of Star Trek movies. My gripe with the episode is that they make fun of therapy. Right. the The whole episode starts with therapy is for crazies. This is the this is the eighties. Who goes to therapy anymore? That therapy is a punishment, and that's fine. That's fine that the episode starts there, but we need to see at the very end that there is a respect for something like that. I think that there are a lot of people in the audience that go to therapists that maybe fear the stigma of therapy. I don't know. This kind of, that that put a bad taste in my mouth. It really did. I didn't I didn't appreciate it. It didn't end in a way where it was like, yes, we walk away understanding that therapy is in fact good because what Mariner created that's not therapy. That's coping. She wanted to kill her mother. She wanted to murder her mother just to feel something, to resolve some this tension that she's having. Shot a man in Reno just to watch him right. die. Right. That doesn't sound. That sounds more like drug abuse in an attempt to cope. I hear you. So I don't know. I, I didn't really like it. I didn't. I wasn't. I, I didn't like that. That was the premise of the episode. That Mariner is avoiding therapy because for her, therapy is worse punishment than going to the brig. I hear you. But remember that this is kind of a, a, a dichotomy we have going here when we talk about this show. From my point of view, it's a mirror held up to the Star Trek universe, not a mirror held up to us in the in the real world. And so the mirror is, in Star Trek, you go talk to Deanna Troy, and you have an hour session once a week with her, and you work it out like a mature human being. This, in this universe... Yeah, but you don't have to, you don't have to do that by delivering a low blow to the concept of therapy. On the Cerritos, you do because your therapist is kind of a hack and all he does is compare things to food. Ah, uh, you see, I, I, was, I was almost certain That's you were going to bring it up. I was almost certain you were going to bring up that the therapist is the problem here, but it's not. Because in that cold open, when her mother tells her she's going to therapy, Mariner's reaction wasn't just, or initially, wasn't just to about who the therapist is, but therapy in general. You're not going to the break. You're going to therapy. What? You think I need therapy? What? That's no. No, it's the 80s, dude. We don't have psychiatric problems. Even before she brings up the ship's therapist, who, yeah, is arguably not, seems to be a really <laughs> therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah I get that. The idea. <laughs> but you can still do these things without presenting an inadequance. Right, without presenting a stigma, this could have been you're going to therapy. I'm not going to therapy, no, or or fine, but you know, she says fine, and and then she goes off and does her own thing in the holodeck. This was a middle finger to therapy, in my opinion. I and I didn't like that, I didn't appreciate it. I thought it was a low blow just for laughs, just you know, the old stigma that therapy is still something to make fun of. I wasn't a fan of it, I really wasn't. They could have done this better and more inventively while still trying to grapple with Mariner's relationship with her mom. Oh, we get back to that, which is a problem. Yeah. I mean, I thought it more reflected on Mariner herself. Agreed. Uh, you know, making the statement because she's just going to go against whatever her mom... I mean, obviously Mariner has issues. And I think the this is the 80s thing was a signpost in that direction because when you say this is the 80s and here we're in 2020 or whatever, it's like, this is an old throwback way attitude that I'm having. This is the 80s. Uh, let's have some Crystal Pepsi and neon leg warmers. I mean, that's 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 how, that's how I hear that's how I heard it. This episode and its premise felt to me like an uninventive pickle Rick. That's what that was. This was yeah. well, th- the whole episode is about not go is trying to avoid therapy. 
But at the end of the Pickle Rick episode, one of the most absurd episodes of all of cartoon television, he turns himself into a pickle to avoid going to therapy and then fights his way out of a freaking, you know, Russian embassy as a pickle. So Yelena, whatever it is. (laughs) That was a good episode. That's so great. At the end of that episode, they're in the car and Rick got schooled by Susan Sarandon, who played the who played the therapist, and they walk out, and the kids are like, "So, are we doing that again?" Because it was helpful, like that. That was smart, and I get it. This Star Trek is not supposed to be smart. Oh, look, I get it, Tony. I understand <laughs> that's supposed that. Supposed to be smart, but yo, at the okay, no, maybe it, it doesn't have to be smart. It doesn't have to be philosophical, but it could be smart. It could be inventive. It could be a little more creative. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But again, this—it's the mirror thing. It's which mirror are you looking in? I think that's what it is. Other than that, it was funny. I loved Rutherford. Rutherford was adorable in this. Tendi, great. Even her voice acting in this episode was spot on. She knew how to deliver. And like you said, Cat, when she steps up to Mariner, that was an excellent moment. I loved it. She's awesome. And I even liked the therapist. I know it was Paul F. Tompkins, but he's hilarious with the food analogies. If she's planning something, I have a right to Carol, know. Carol, you're being a pineapple right now. Ugh, stop referencing foods. They know they love Star Trek, and so they know all the things they need to make fun of. They know where all the excesses are in Star Trek. They and they then they can they know right where to they know right where to hit you. And that's fine. Make fun of the make fun of the ship therapist. That's fine. But you don't have to make fun of therapy, right? Like there's a difference there. Well, that wraps up episode 481 of Priority One. A Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, Gerald Bosch, and Joshua Selig. Oh, and also, here's a shout out to our newest patron, John. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon family. Now here's a reminder of our community question this week. What was your reaction when you learned that Kate Mulgrew will be reprising her role as Captain Janeway in the Nickelodeon Star Trek animated series, Prodigy? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. If you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. So follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. During these difficult times, we are humbled by the continued support of listeners like you, who find value in the content we produce each and every week. For more information about how you can become a patron and to discover all the awesome benefits. So if you're interested in becoming a patron and exploring all of the amazing benefits we have to offer, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash priority one. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps 
in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our guest this week, Star Trek Online's community manager, Mike Fadum. Thanks to our audio engineers, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, Skiffy, and support from Lennon from Heroes Rise. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas of the Priority One Armada. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Trek out a Frakes fax. Oh man, I see. I did this once the other day, and now it's just going to be a hot mess. So strap in your shuffle for a boudoir whoops. glamour shuttle. Oh, whoops! I can't read. So strap in, strap in shuffle. your shuffle. What? What? How do you strap in a shuffle? You know, like your What's a iPod shuffle, shuffle like one? from back in the it's day. It's a strap shuffle. Oh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a shuffle. All right, it's getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> And captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage you in conversations. Our listen, captain. Uh, <clears throat> I like that you were going off script. I liked it. I, I, I was going right. to do it, except I was except it didn't flow. Trust yourself, man. It didn't man. flow. It didn't Trust flow. Yourself. So say I'm Tony. Yeah, and then, I'll just know. do that. <clears throat> I'm uh, and I'm Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hi. Hey everyone! <laughs> uh, I'm old enough to be on the yeah, show. Okay. I promise. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, Rick. Ah, oh, gee, Rick. Ah, oh, gee. Ah, oh, geez, Rick. And boy, did they deliver! Prepare yourself for a Trek Nugget feast. Why would anyone eat a Trek Nugget feast? No one would do that. No one. I mean, yeah. unless you had sriracha. I thought the night. I was like, I don't remember nuns in the nightclub. Because <laughs> you would. Because that would be only, a little. It was only <laughs> like Huggy Bear, the lizard guy, whatever that guy's name was. The USS Jaeger will close on October 8th with bidding at some number that isn't in the script. <laughs> uh, the Jaeger. Good radio. Making good radio. While heliotypes. All right, it's getting weird. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.